You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where each week we discuss and debate what is going on in the world of rule-based investing right now. My name is Niels Kastorlarsen, and I am excited to welcome back my co-host, Jerry Parker and Moritz Siebert. Good morning, guys. How are you? Always great. Yes, good, good, good to be with you. Yes, likewise, likewise. Um, it's certainly been uh, an interesting week. Uh, lots of headlines, lots of market action, lots of things for us to discuss. Obviously, uh, the usual topics that comes up when something like this happens, uh, a quick sell-off, um, and most systematic managers uh, you know, lose money. So uh, the headlines that we typically get are, um, you know, CTAs did not, or trend followers did not provide any crisis alpha protection, um, and also, they may well be part of uh, the reason why the markets are selling off. So things like that, we can certainly debate. But let's just talk a little bit about some of the return drivers uh, for this week in sort of trend-following portfolios that that we run. And, and I'll turn to you, Moritz, uh, probably as usual, um, to kick this off and uh, just to see what what uh, what's going on from from your perspective. Yeah, thanks, Niels. Well, uh, certainly haven't provided any crisis alpha, that's for sure. Um, it's been a uh, strong down week, uh, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, so down more even than uh, than the loss of the equity markets. Um, so that's a bummer, but it is what it is. Most of the losses uh, obviously coming, and that's not a surprise, from uh, long positions, which were fairly large in the equity indices. Uh, predominantly Nasdaq, uh, S&P Midcap, Russell, um, those really hurt. Um, lost some money from long positions in the equity in the in the commodities, energies that is um, gasoline uh, above all, and and you know those those losses weren't really countered by positions in the bond markets this past week, at least in in the portfolio that I'm looking at. So um, yeah, those markets have been flat, slightly down. Some have been a bit up, but like I said, I mean, real heavy losses from the equity indices. Sure, I mean, I I can certainly agree to to that um, description. Um, I mean, the same picture in our case, um, main driven by equities, and uh, and of course, when things like that happen, as as, as a trend follower, at least in in our case. Um, you know, we've made some reductions to those uh, pot, you know, positions in the portfolio, and um, but but as well, you know, not just equities this uh, this week, uh, energies, and and also actually we gave back some money in um, U.S. fixed income, even though they have been the best performer so far this year. In our case, um, we certainly saw some um, some losses during the week. Um, the rest of the portfolio pretty small uh, compared to what happened in in those three uh, sectors. I know, Jerry, you don't necessarily look at these things every single day, but were there some highlights that you might have noticed maybe from single stocks or something else that was going on on, on your side? Uh, well, like I've said before, we trade a pretty diverse group of stocks. So we haven't really participated uh, in the profit that like the S&P has produced recently. So um, that's the downside. So the upside is we came in um, sort of long and short 
a lot of stocks and um, we lost money in the stocks, but uh, it felt like it didn't feel uh, a lot like February where we were maybe more committed on the long side. So it it was really a benefit to have that um, diversification today or this week, you know. um, So we just saw a little sell off in um, the, the technology and some of the shorts kicked in and helped us a little this week. Uh, it was a rally in the metals and had hurt a little. The dollar showed some weakness uh, Wednesday, Thursday, I guess. So, yeah, it was just um, not nothing helping. Uh, <clears throat> one of the best uh, favorite tweets this week was something about uh, diversification and how wonderful it is. So we, we have our diversification and it contributed to losses this week. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, you mentioned February, and I, I think a lot of investors will sit back, uh, you know, looking at the portfolios, um, you know, at the end of Friday, or maybe Monday morning, and, 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 and there will be some similarities, in my opinion, to what happened in, in, in February. Um, and it's some of the same headlines that I've noticed uh, in the last 24, 48 hours that are re-emerging. Um, two observations about that. I agree with you. I think we as well were more diversified to some extent, even though it hurt a lot uh, this week, for sure, no doubt. Um, but there were more diversification in the equity sector. Um, and, and you know, we're short a couple of the European markets uh, already. Not much, uh, so it didn't help a lot, but it... It's better than being fully long, uh, like I think most people were back in in in, uh, in February. So, so similarities and a little bit different. I remember how uh, a lot of people were screaming about managers, you know, getting you know reduce their exposure in February. So because this could be the big crash and so on and so forth. And of course, what we saw was indeed that the markets went on to make you know entirely new highs. I'm not saying that that's going to happen again this time, but it is just that when when we sit in it, uh, it feels very different, and and you're tempted to uh, just say, "Oh, I want to get out of all these risky uh, positions." But you know, again, where where the systematic approach comes uh, well into play, in my opinion, and certainly as another diversifier, I think this is what people sometimes forget. We talk about diversification in terms of the markets we trade and and the time frames and so on and so forth. But the whole process, the whole idea of not having any emotions and following rules. That's another level of diversification, in my opinion, compared to, uh, or especially if it's added to a portfolio where there are clearly uh, people making decisions uh, using, you know, either a discretionary approach or, or certainly based on on emotions. Um, so calm collectedness, uh, as usual, uh, from from this part of the industry is is always a good thing uh, when you go through periods like this. But let's. Let's de- dig a little bit uh, deeper. If uh, I mean, I don't necessarily think that any of us saw any position changes per se. I think it was more reductions here and there um, in in positions. But correct me if I'm wrong uh, based on on the way you guys uh, trade. Um, but let's just talk about. It. Let's jump into to some of these um, articles, and and we've got lots of questions, uh, of course, uh, on a day like this. So. Lots of things to talk about, but anything you want to say to set the stage on on this? Anything, or, or do you just want to jump into to questions and tweets from from Jerry? Maybe one thing about the emotion. I mean, yes, uh, emotionless trading and following the rules—that is what's happened in the past week. But as far as I'm concerned, there were like two successive real large down days, and you go like, "Come on, really?" 
Um, yeah. So it's. No, I didn't say it was. I didn't say it's easy. I'm just saying <laughs> exactly. we have no emotions and, uh, in our process. <laughs> and then you go like you know. I mean, certainly uh, it has led to a reduction in in positions. Um, not per se a, a, a change in positions in, in terms of direction, but but certainly a significant reduction in in the leverage that that's traded. And and you go like, well, you know, reducing the leverage now, maybe the thing is going to bounce back and uh, going to lose out on the upside, uh, leaving all those profits on the table. But well, like you said, who knows what's going to happen next week? It could be down it's another the process, few right? Yeah, it's the process, and you're absolutely right. I mean, last time. You know, it all bounced back, and uh, had you had you not done what trend followers tend to do, um, which is react to the changes in price and therefore reduce when that is warranted, then you know it may have been a stronger year for for the industry. But that's not what our investors are paying for us to do. They're paying us to to follow a process, uh, which I know we all do a hundred percent, and uh, so that's important, Jerry. Um, you may have had some interesting reactions uh, in the Twitter world this week. What what seems to be popular uh, in in that in that sphere when you were tweeting? Yes, I uh, <clears throat> had a good week on the Twitter front. Um, <laughs> could always get a lot of positivity if I stick to what people are interested in. Believe it or not, which is uh, what we do: trends and diversification and the benefits of such. <clears throat> And I had a uh, tweet this week that was surprisingly uh, was the most popular. And maybe I'm just surprised that um, it probably came from people who were like the three of us who like to trade and who trade and who trade for clients. And in a week like this, following the process, which is going to work over a long period of time, uh, but possibly not work in the short term, case in point, uh, they hear it from the clients. And uh, so we have this little group, this camaraderie with all of the people out there who are like us, who trade for other people. And I have to hear the uh, criticism or the questioning of, do you know what the hell you're doing? And so one of the tweets this week was uh, me retweeting a friend of mine and saying, I prefer the clients who understand that they really don't understand how to trade these markets. So I got tons of love from that tweet. And so I'm thinking, oh, that's a lot of good clients, right? Oh, probably not. Probably people just like the three of us. <clears throat> Although that tweet did get favorited uh, by my by two of my largest clients this week. So uh, one of these uh, guys has been a client for a while and he, whenever I talk to him on the phone or in person, I start to explain a recent performance and he'll cut me off and say, stop, stop. Just tell me you are continuing to follow the systems. That's all I want to hear. So that's a a really good client. Um, But it does get a little insulting or, you know, for 35 years for me um, to always be questioned, do you know what you're doing? Can't you improve? Why don't you use the VIX? All kinds of uh, things, which I think I have an open mind and I take seriously and say, yeah, you're probably right. But you do get a, a tinge of maybe I could do it better than you from people who have, don't have to live through the markets and haven't been part of the systematic trading uh, community for many years. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I agree that there is um, that, that that there can very easily be this scent of oh, this is disappointing, but it shouldn't be because if you really understand how how these systems work, uh, 
you know that, you know, especially when most of the trends has really been concentrated around equities for a while now. So you know that all the systems will be long. And therefore, in a period like this, we're certainly not going to provide any form of negative correlation to uh, to traditional uh, asset classes or equities in particular. And so it, it can be a little bit surprising um, that, 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 that people feel that they are surprised that when a, something like that, that happens like this week, that uh, the performance is as is, um, that, that, that is, a, but I, I also get a lot of, uh, you know, good comments from people who say, yeah, sure. It, you know, it hurt a bit, but we understand why. And, and, and those are the greatest clients to have for sure. And of course you, Moritz, you're lucky. You have um, one big <laughs> client. <laughs> Um, any other interesting uh, tweets um, that you saw or reactions to um, from your side, Jerry? Well, I, I like um, the – it seems to me that I'm not alone when I s sort of express some skepticism about big data, which is sort of the opposite of what we do. We take the price trends, the price historical prices only – and follow the trends. Um, maybe we look at volume or some other things, but it's pretty much going to be driven by the prices and the trends. And it seems that people are, at least my followers, are very skeptical of big data being able to come in and uh, do better than trend. <clears throat> so I got a lot of like from um, <clears throat> this tweet. Um, it was a quote from an article They have a mindset that we're going to conquer the world with big data. In finance, though, the market regime is not static, and markets aren't closed systems like a chess game. You can have one little pin drop that can basically make you lose over 20 years of returns. Now, I don't know about that last <laughs> sentence, but um, it is nice to see that, uh, that people are skeptical of uh, and, and understand and realize that it's really two different things. Uh, the markets are very unique in, in what has worked maybe in other areas of life with big data and AI and machine learning may not work with the markets. Um, and of course, uh, a week or two ago, we talked about uh, one of my favorites was my own uh, brilliant uh, tweet about um, maybe something like maybe the final step of a decision-making process of, an AI, of AI would be wait for the breakout. And I think right. that's, I recommend that highly for you know, almost any, anything less than what we do, uh, pay attention only to prices, regardless of how you make your decisions, you may want to have that last step. Uh, let's just wait for the breakout to confirm it all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we saw that in a couple of interesting uh, ways. Uh, once we, we talked last week, I think it was about the interview with Stanley Druckenmiller and how he was describing his process. And that was exactly what it was. You know, you build a thesis, you wait for the momentum and once it's clear, you pile in. So certainly sounded trend following ish uh, to, to me. The other thing that you mentioned about AI, I heard a podcast uh, this week uh, on my way back from the US. I was listening to a podcast and I forget his name. But he was uh, someone who had done a lot of work on on AI stuff. Uh, but he was also a trend follower uh, as well. And I think his firm did trend following and and, and re mean reversion as, as a kind of a sub a supplement, a complement. Um, but he said all the research that they had done 
not that there was no evidence that AI would help a trend type trading methodology because there's simply not enough trades to analyze. He said maybe a short-term high-frequency um, system might produce enough data to make some kind of improvement using AI, but but he was pretty convinced that uh, what we guys, what we do, uh, there's not a lot of benefit uh, from that. And and to be frank, I mean, I haven't interviewed many people on the podcast regarding AI, but I've interviewed a few, and um, uh, some of them I think have been struggling a lot um, in recent years. And others, I would say, they may be using AI, but it's not that their performance is anything better than, you know, trend following without AI. So so I have not seen any evidence myself. Um, now, we don't know, of course, what some of these big quant funds are doing. Um, and I have a feeling that they use much shorter timeframes uh, as well. Um, so they may well be using it. Um, and of course, there may be some people out there who've found a way to make it work. Uh, I'm not suggesting that, but but I generally agree with your sentiment, Jerry, on on that. What about you, Moritz? Have you spent any time looking at this? Mm, yeah, and there's a couple of things I know and a couple of things I don't know. I think the most important thing I do know is that I'm certainly not smart enough to work with machine learning. And the other thing I know is that it is certainly too early to, to make a judgment on the quality of that. I, I do have my reservations. I kind of like sit with, you know, on, on, on Jerry's side there, I'm skeptical that it can produce those magical returns. And looking at the track records of the AI funds, which we can see, and there aren't that many, and they aren't very long, right? Um, the uh, the observation there is that the returns haven't been that great. Now, it could very well be that some of those track records are hidden from us, and we can see them because they're you know traded by prop shops and you know, very short-term uh, timeframes and, and, and maybe they're doing great things there. And then we just don't know. So I, I just take on the, the role of a patient observer. Um, you have all those amazingly smart people going into that space. Maybe it's a bit hyped up, sometimes feels that way uh, by the things that you read about it. And as with everything, just let the data speak, right? I, I guess it'll be a few years and um, then also investors will come out and say, hey, can you can you really show me the alpha that you have provided using such and such technique that nobody can really understand but you? And, and is that really that much better than, you know, proven rules? I mean, look, I mean, there, there are these rules that work like uh, since ages and and I like to rely on them, and you know it's it's very difficult for me to uh, kind of like you know kick this all overboard and you know go to a different a different uh, ballpark here and then do something else. And, and like I said, I mean I uh, I I just don't under, I, I wouldn't know how to do it. So <laughs> yeah, no, um, that's fair enough. I do want to add one thing, by the way, when we talked about <clears throat> the markets before, I. I try to also put it in the perspective of, of a kind of a non-biased um, uh, way of measuring the trendiness of the market, which is this trend barometer that I that I publish uh, every day um, because it it takes out whether our you know our individual systems are good or bad. It just is a measure of trendiness, and and actually that hit. It's not the lowest point that I've ever seen, but it hit 
20, which is really, really low and definitely suggesting that trend followers should not be making money, which I'm sure nobody did last week. So so I just want to mention that. Um, I also want to mention another thing which I think is important because there are clearly some managers who, you know, sell themselves on delivering protection. I mean, so so I think it's important for people who listen to this uh, to understand that that trend followers we may often provide protection over the long run if there is a bigger crisis, but there are some managers, and this is maybe where it can be a little bit confusing looking from the outside. There are managers who will say and and hopefully do um, deliver uh, that they can deliver, uh, you know, crisis alpha even when it's on a very short term time frame, and they obviously hopefully will have made some money for their clients in the last. Uh, week or so but it's not what we do uh, the three of us we are much more medium to long term in our approach so just just to keep that in mind if, if, i don't know if there are more tweets that you picked up uh in 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 your uh, stream um uh, jerry but there was one i don't know if it's from this week or before but we talked about it just before uh, going on air here um and this was this thing about indiscriminate you know selling and i think that's the other theme that I picked up this week, and that is that our industry, uh, we're often blamed for, you know, forcing these corrections. And uh, I have my own opinion about that. Um, but was there someone from JP Morgan suggesting that as well? Uh, was that correctly understood? Yeah, there were multiple sources sort of uh, <laughs> blaming um, <clears throat> some of the sell-off on vo- volatility targeting CTAs. There are CTAs out there who have promised uh, to reduce positions, uh, keep the volatility in a certain target, I suppose. We don't really know for sure. Um, <clears throat> it's it's hard to say uh, who's responsible or if we should even be upset that someone is responsible. We're right, sure. living in free countries with, I guess we can uh, do smart trades and dumb trades. At, and, it's, um, and I'm sure it didn't help their performance to try to liquidate uh, <clears throat> stock exposure in such an illiquid time. Uh, I do think that uh, that is really the bottom line is what do you do when you have a thousand S&Ps to sell and the bid is 50 or yeah. 10? And this is what happens when the craziness is that uh, the market makers, the short-term people who provide liquidity, they step away. And if you still try to sell those 1,500 S&Ps, there's nothing there. It doesn't matter how much AUM you have. It doesn't matter what percentage of the market you are. <clears throat> These are all red herrings <clears throat> used to confuse people. I have 500 S&Ps to sell in order to get my uh, fall down where I need to be. And there's really little to nothing on the bid. What do I do? And so that's the question. What did you do? And uh, But uh, this is uh, probably uh, mostly done, according to this same person at JP Morgan. Maybe we're 70% done uh, with the CTAs. Hard to say. Yeah, I, I think it raises, I think it raises two important points um the first one is you know you we can blame we can well i don't we don't really want to blame anyone because you know it's 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 you know you have an approach and if that approach means that you have to reduce your exposure that's perfectly fine whether it's happening now um, or whether it's happening you know much further down after the markets are selling off uh, more um you know that's that's where i think also people uh, you know, blame trend followers, but but anyway, leave that for a moment. I wanted to ask you a little bit and and may and hear both of your opinion. 
just going back to the fact that there is 10, you know, we talk about there's 10 lots on the bid and people want to sell a thousand. Electronic trading. I mean, back in the old days when we were doing this, uh, you know, uh, open outcry, to me, it seems to me that back then in those in these situations, there were a bit more liquidity and and you could sort of sense it more in the market. Nowadays, electronically, when you just look at the screen, there seems to be very little liquidity, meaning it's all hidden or it's it's not showing up on the screen. Well, what do you do? You remember the the difference? Uh, have you noticed any difference? Uh, and 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 is the discussion a much broader discussion, not just about some managers? And we talk about managers, but it could be anyone who wanted to reduce some exposure the last couple of days, right? It doesn't have to be anything to do really with the CTAs or systematic traders or whatever. But but just in general, when these things happen, and and maybe Jerry, you might uh, you might want to keep this off from your experience. I mean, do you think there is a difference where, with liquidity in these situations between the electronic trading we do today and back in the day when it was all uh, open outcry? Yes. I, well, first, I want to say to agree. It could be anybody. <clears throat> we don't know. Um, we just know that there are some people who have promised that they will yes. be in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. CTAs okay. will be part of it. I agree. And then, yeah. Yeah. And so um, others might write papers about uh, risk parity and say it wasn't, it couldn't be, it wasn't us. We really haven't heard from large CTAs. But I don't really know that it's, it's much different. I think that obviously today they have more uh, technology to allow them to be right that now is a good time to step aside and go and we're not in the market for a while we'll come back but not right now i do think that part of ai or machine learning could also be we know how to set this off we can start this wildfire and then we'll step away so i would not discount that as well these are very smart people and we have also been on record as this is how we trade, this is where we're going to trade. We're going to not be run out of these positions uh, unless it's a big break. And uh, so we are giving them a lot of intelligence, not that they need it, but maybe that's the problem with or the real benefit of AI is that they're playing us, not uh, big data and lots of markets, lots of data from the markets around the world, but it's we're we're taking advantage of knowing when these, uh, what, we can get the CTAs to start doing a lot of trading when there's a l- very little liquidity. So, sure. not to be a I mean, conspiracy theorist, but it, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, if you take it to the nth degree, Jerry, CTAs don't start a sell-off. We can agree on that because there's nothing in our systems that would suggest that you're the trend is going up and suddenly you want to sell a big chunk. You know that that's very unlikely, right? We react to whatever happens, whether that's increased volatility or a price turn. Sure. So I think you're you, so so I think it's an interesting theory about who really starts these things. And 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 but I think maybe we go back to one of your first comments, and that is, does it really matter? I mean, the markets are the markets, and having a two or three percent down day uh is not unusual. It's just that we haven't had many of them in the last few years. We've forgotten how it really is, but in the old days, two or three percent market moves were normal. So maybe we need to just you know, reset our memories a bit and 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 get used to a different environment uh, altogether, where this is, you know, a, a normal day in the office. 
many views. Normal day in the office. I agree. Um, may it, I'll just add. I mean, I'm pretty sure there are systems out there that um, that are forced sellers uh, at the settlement at the close of the market, uh, regardless of how many lots you can find there on the bid. If there's 50 yeah. lots on the bid, they'll hit the bid with 500 because uh, that's what their system is programmed to do. Right? There's that's just it, it doesn't make a difference. Um, but I'm like I'm not really following you know, micro market structure and all those type of things. I've I've read on Twitter also that I think on Friday or Thursday was one of the most liquid days uh, on the Nasdaq futures on the Nasdaq E-minis. Um, whereas previously, like pretty much for uh, all of this year, from that same source, which by the way is is Nanax, uh, I think a Chicago-based firm that looks at um, trading volume, among other things. Um, they've reported that you know markets have become less and less liquid, and that you see uh, you know algos um, you know working the different levels of the order book, but only in small sizes. And every time the market makes a larger turn, then that size vanishes and is no longer there, right? And and that that may have been true. Um, I'd also like you know periodically uh, review slippage numbers, and um, haven't done that in a while, but. Uh, you know those those could give hints um, about uh, you know the behavior of the order book and uh, whether you can get the size done that you used to get done um, for a certain amount of slippage and how that slippage has developed uh, over the past couple of months. It's one yeah. of the benefits that we had as learning how to trade in 1983 from Richard Dennis is that as good as they were with computers and math. And back testing and rich came from the floor. And so it was this ability to combine what's possible on the floor with um, <clears throat> the systems in the, the technical system computer approach. And probably that gets lost on men and women who come from uh, PhDs and from um, universities or finance having never dealt with the markets before. They would, yes, say, okay, just the computer's right. Uh, sell because it's always worked in the past. Well, what's going on today in market structure is not the past. <clears throat> so I think that's indiscriminate selling. I mean, Moritz defined it right then and there. Um, and that's what I think is unfortunate. When I traded uh, $2 billion, uh, AUM, $2.5 billion, I was still in cocoa and bean oil. I would just tell the broker, uh, you know, just buy five lots every 30 minutes or you know, and take a week to do the trade, you know, build my position that I wanted in these illiquid markets. I never said, well, I got the signal on Monday, we got to get it done on Monday, regardless of what reality was. And so the, the, the positive about this is this is not helping anyone who has, a, has an idea of slam it. <clears throat> and we have to be a slave to the numbers and what the back test says. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with that. And actually, I think it's one point that that we tend, the three of us, at least in our conversation, tend not to talk much about. But of course, the the mutual fund industry with its trillions of dollars, et cetera, et cetera, and they have all these buy programs and sell programs at the end of the day. And I would certainly wouldn't uh, be surprised if if they can move the market uh, significantly as well, which has absolutely nothing to do with the alternative industry whatsoever um now um 
jump so maybe, in with uh, anything. Maybe one thing yeah. I want to add there is, uh, and, and I think Perry, uh, Jerry just uh, mentioned that, like in the old days when you had um, had an order and maybe that order was worked over a period of time, right? I still think so. In in, in my personal trading, I'm not sending, you know, I'm not, you know, placing orders through a machine automatically. It's still, you know, pretty much done in the old school way of, you know, orders are being produced and uh, they're sent to a broker and um, brokers differ. Like, you know, if you have a good broker um, that understands the way you trade, right, um, understands what you're looking to do with those orders, um, as far as I'm concerned, that really helps. Yeah. And we have the same opinion on our side. We we don't let the machines go directly to the exchange. There's definitely a human being involved uh, in deciding how that should be executed. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. But of course, there are a lot of systems that go straight to the exchange. And, and maybe that can add, uh, you know, some uh, extra volatility here and there. But Again, I um, I think sometimes these things are blown up a little bit, um, and especially if people like J.P. Morgan are coming out uh, saying this. I mean, I think they have 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 I think quarterly accounts where they pride themselves of having you know ninety days of the last quarter we didn't lose any money. And I'm just thinking, okay, so how does that work uh, if you never lose any money? So they must have some very interesting insights. Um, but anyways, um, we've got a lot of questions uh, that I wanted to tackle. Uh, one of them came a couple of weeks ago from Mohit, and I, I emailed with you today, Mohit. Uh, so I know you you were expecting something. But because your question is, is rather long, it relates to moving averages and it's so on and so forth, because there's a lot of things happening right now this week, I, I'm going to delay that further. I uh, apologize about that, but we are going to try and get through to some of the shorter questions today and get a few more of them answered but i have not forget forgotten you anyway here's a uh, here's a question from Raphael. um he uh, talks about something that was mentioned in episode three uh, and he says if the optimal to have around 50 percent, so this must be a comment that we made um and i think maybe it was you moritz um or maybe you jerry it says if it is optimal to have around 50% of your portfolio in CTA systematic uh, in investor podcast episode three, what is the optimal remaining allocation? So anyone who wants to venture yeah, into answering this, this. Oh, that's a great yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember where that comment came up and, and why it came up. I think we, uh, we spoke about the, you know, optimal allocation of trend following within a diversified portfolio, say 60, 40 portfolio or something like that. And we spoke about, maybe allocating 10% to trend following managers and concluded that, well, if you've allocated 10%, then really that doesn't move the needle that much, right? So right. I was saying, well, if you want to get the benefits of a trend following allocation, the diversification, you know, all those type of things, then, then probably you want to look at a 50% allocation or higher. Now to your question, I think, why don't people start with trend following? Why, why isn't that the base allocation. So make it a hundred if you want, right? And if you if you still must add other things, long only equity, credit, I don't know, then then do that. But maybe do it from the kind of like in reverse. Start with trend following, make that the base, and then see how much you want to reduce that, right? And and add other things. Whereas most people go the other way around. Right. And, and so you may have some you know, needless to say 
my perfect allocation to trend following is <laughs> for, for me greater than 50 percent Sure, sure. And of course, you you might have something to add here as well, uh, Jerry. I just wanted to say one thing in general um, to this question, and that is what I suggest when people ask me, you know, how to build a portfolio. It's not so much that I'm focused on whether it's 50% trend following, et cetera, et cetera. I just think the idea of having uncorrelated assets in your portfolio makes a lot of sense. And, and, and your research will tell you how much of each of these assets will be quote unquote optimal, but whether it's 40%, 50%, I, you know, it depends, but obviously uncorrelated assets, including stocks and bonds will be some of those uh, remaining parts um, in, in a portfolio, in my opinion. Any, any views on your side, Jerry, or do you agree with? I agree with what you just said. You, um, in a short, trying to get to the bottom of this in a short amount of time is difficult. Uh, we're just from coming from a very defensive point of view where golly, 60, 40 plus a little bit of, um, you know, mostly bonds, mostly stocks, mostly bonds and a 5% of trend following, you know, then we've, we're like, well, that doesn't sound optimal from our point of view. I think that something else I said recently is uh, to cut, to make it more complex would be um, let me trend follow your stocks, your 50, 60% of stocks. And that can really add some crisis alpha to that. Sure. Um, I think what happens with the uh, unique situation of probably the only market or maybe bonds, but definitely stocks, everyone kind of acknowledges that it's in 20 years, their stocks will probably be higher. It's the, probably the only market that we, that has demonstrated, at least historically, that buy and hold kind of works. So it's a complement to trend following uh, currencies, commodities, stocks, and bonds, long and short, CTAs, trend following portfolios. It's a it's a complement to that because we don't have any trades or positions that are long only all the time. So there is some trend following fails big time over the past, you know, you can see it in the data uh, where <clears throat> stocks crash we get out, we implement our trend following on our stocks and on all the other markets as well. And yet they just go right back to the highs. We, maybe we got out, we got short, it just can get really bad. And then um, the all the equity indices rally again. So that feature of never getting out, long only, yes, you're going to have 2008, which is going <clears> to <throat> uh, drag performance down. But so often the it just really works well with something with a trend following, even if it's long term, that's going to have a different return pattern. So throwing that in, I would say 20 or 30% uh, as long S&P probably would add uh, some uh, welcome diversification to a portfolio. Now that assumes stocks are going to continue to have that feature, which I'm sure they will. It's uh, kind of funny that we don't put that into our systems. We, I guess so. I, maybe I don't really believe that, but uh, I do think um, it's a complex problem. But just as you stated, what's going to give me, let's look at all the numbers and let's um, don't even put names on the markets. Let's put numbers on the markets. Yeah. Run our analysis of correlation returns uh, and see what that portfolio looks like. And I think it would be a lot of commodities and fair amount of stocks and currencies and commodities and it's, I don't know where it would come down, but it would be far more than 5 or 10% for CTA trend following. Sure. No, I agree. 
moving swiftly along, uh, we got a long question here, three-part question from Dave in Minneapolis. Um, and the first question actually is for me, and it's a little bit relating to the trend barometer and the 44 markets it track. And, and you ask, uh, Dave, uh, whether I could discuss the components inside it. To be perfectly honest, um, I don't recall all the components in, inside it, but I do remember that it's um, uh, developed, and this was uh, developed many years ago, um, you know, there are uh, different momentum indicate indicators uh, inside the trend barometer, just to give a general feel for, uh, you know, the trendiness of the markets in a diversified portfolio. And it just so happens that I've not come across anything that seems to track, uh, you know, the environment as as well as this does. But I'm I'm sorry, I can't. I can't really um, uh, give you the the detailed answer you were asking, but the next question you have, maybe we can help you. It's uh, it's for Moritz, uh, at least to begin with, and I'm sure it'll translate into you, Jerry. It says here, Moritz, you mentioned a couple of times that, and he's paraphrasing, over the past week, I haven't made any changes to position size. If you're willing to share this information, are you implying that while you are in a trade, you may add to a position based on some measure of volatility, for example? I realized that the turtle rules, uh, or the, I realized that the turtle had rules to add to their initial positions and would love to hear. Um, you discuss uh, whether adding to an existing position is something uh, that is still commonly done. Um, yeah, so maybe, uh, Mark, do you want to talk a little bit about it? And Jared, if you want to add anything. Yeah, from, uh, so from what I understood, I mean, the, uh, the, the way that, uh, I like to do that is, um, to take a position and at the time of position entry that that position will get a certain size. Um, as far as I'm concerned, that's a function of historical volatility or average true range, right? And then um, over time, that position may develop. Uh, for instance, you know, say you have a long position initiated and, you know, you may add to that long position because the market continues to make new highs, as one example, right? Um, and again, when, when those, you know, new uh, uh, signals are hit, again, you know, there's a position size calculated and ideally I'd like to just, you know, keep that size on until the trade um, hits a stop. Um, now that, what that then does is that I don't have any of that vol controlling uh, taking place um, uh, in between, which is kind of like, you know, that their overlay um, to the system that doesn't really have to do anything with, you know, the pure trend following part of it, if you see what I mean, right? Now, that being said, there is uh, there is a larger bracket around the entire portfolio so that, you know, if there are very, very large moves, um, moves, you know, the magnitude as we have seen in the past week, um, certain risk management rules kick in and that may have an impact on position sizing. Sure. Anything from your side, uh, Jerry, since uh, Dave was referring to the turtle rules? I agree that with Moritz, it's um, it's basically a portfolio overlay vol targeting type of idea. <clears throat> but uh, I like to put the trade on, risk 50 basis points, hold on to it for a year or two, and do nothing with it. 
uh, never change that position for any reason. And that's the system trade. Now, the you know, the volatility may get way more than 50 basis points, um, 200, 300, 400 basis points up and down, um, <clears throat> way more than 50 basis points from the high, from the max profit. So I would just define my risk as the initial potential loss of the 50 basis points of capital and not anything going on prior to the exit criteria being hit. Old school, classical, old fashioned trend following. Sure, sure. Excellent. Very insightful. Um, I'm going to jump to a, I think this will be the last one because we do want to try and keep these uh, sessions to about 45 minutes and, um, uh, and maybe one day we'll do a full Q and a, if you come up with, and I'm talking to the audience now, if you come up with some, a lot of great questions, maybe we will do a special episode, pure Q and a to, to satisfy uh, all of that, um, which we would be delighted to do. Um, but let me ask, here's one that came uh, to your Twitter account, uh, Jerry. Um, uh, Jerry talked about being flat in a recent episode. Can you elaborate on when a trend follower would be flat and for how long? So maybe you want to pick up on that, uh, Jerry? Sure. I mean, I think that uh, when you analyze the markets and do back testing, um, you'll probably see that um, one of the better ways to set up your system would be to have the uh, entry and exit parameters be different and maybe the larger number would be the entry. So maybe we'll buy the 50-day breakout, we'll go long at the 50-day breakout, and then we'll get out at the 25-day low. Um, now, that's too short term, so don't do that. But <laughs> this will obviously produce some short trades, uh, some flat trades, sorry. And um, sure. so I think this is just a, a result of a, doing a back test and seeing that, oh, okay, I see. The entry should be a little bit higher number than the exit. That's what the, uh, the optimal uh, portfolio or trading system might look like. And, um, you know, sometimes just in eyeballing the charts, you know, you can say, oh, definitely a long trade. Oh, definitely a short trade. Uh, that's not really moving too much. So even intuitively, it, it makes sense before you do the back test that, yeah, it's perfectly fine to be flat. You know, hard to say how, how long you would be flat, it's not really an issue or a problem. It's just um, what most people have gravitated towards. Yeah, and that's right. So essentially, um, you know, it's the neutral zone that happens when you use price breakout methodology. There's always going to be a zone where you neither hit the upside uh, breakout or the or the downside stop or breakout. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to take one last quick question here. Uh, and that is from Mohit again. So I, I delayed your other question, Mohit, but you did come up with another one today, which I'll just uh, quickly ask. Uh, he said, would it be possible for you and your guests to be talking about your worst trade ever and when you're following the systems? Uh, I wanted to hear about the psychology of going through an unprofitable decision. So I think the, the answer will probably be relatively short from both of you. Uh, so I wanted to see if we can also uh, just provide a quick quick answer to Mohit since he has been patiently waiting for another question he was asking. So worst trade, Mohit, I mean, I know you probably don't think about it like that, so maybe you can just quickly describe. 
how that concept <laughs> works. Uh, worst trades probably being the trades uh, where you don't follow the system, where you don't follow the rules. Um, we spoke about that, I think, in episode one or two, where yeah, you know, I remember saying that most of the time um, that I don't follow the rules. That doesn't end well. All right, there are exceptions to that, but. Um, Certainly, as far as trend following trading systems are concerned, um, not following the rules, uh, in my case, has has led to uh, to bad performance. So every time that happens, that's bad. But apart from that, really, like, you know, uh, sure, I mean, in that portfolio, there have been trades that have lost a tremendous amount of money. Um, is that a bad trade? No, well, it, it's a trade that has lost money, but yeah. the trade was a good trade uh, to take at the outset uh, when that signal was generated. So it's um, it's one of many, one of a very large sample size, and that distribution of results includes trades which um, you know are painful and uh, losing a lot of money, but they also include a lot of trades that are just beautiful. So. Um, it's very hard for me to really like pinpoint to that one market or that one trade where in that trend following system, I would say that was really the worst trade I've ever made. It just, sure. I, I don't see it and look at it in that way. Sure, sure, sure. I'm sure you have a pretty similar answer, Jerry, on that side. I do. And I agree with Moritz on all of that. I think um, the missing a trade is by far. So missing a trade is the worst trade. Yeah. And that's why it's very important to not miss a big trend with a trend-following style. In 1992, I uh, got caught short in um, interest rates, um, UK interest rates and stocks, the FTSE short. It was a surprise in the election. And I had to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock Eastern time, and go in and unwind those trades. And... I had been getting. I had had a few phone calls from people who said, "You know what's going to happen if this election doesn't go the way that it's planned? You could have a huge." I was like, "Oh my gosh!" And so that was kind of like I remember pulling into my driveway at three or four o'clock in the morning, saying, "You know, don't be so wimpy." Uh, so you're down five percent in one day. Uh, you did all the right trades. Don't let this affect you. And I think we ended up ending, uh, ended up making money for the month. So. Uh, sometimes the pressure from others and outsiders, it was so obvious that this was a possibility. Uh, but it's but then, you know, Brexit, we we crushed it on Brexit. Sure. Yeah. And so uh, it may take a while for uh, you to get that money back from a specific market, uh, which is uh, probably a psychological problem you should not even um, think about. But I think uh, we're just always bombarded. And once again, we're back to this whole thing. You know, if you want to improve your performance of your CTA, love your CTA. Uh, I actually had a call in February from a client just saying, hey, I have no idea what's going on today, but I know you're probably losing lots of money. You're wonderful. Keep going. That's the sort of environment I grew up in, in the turtle program, uh, where the bottom line was do the right thing, do the hard thing, follow the system. And that defines uh, your good and bad trades. Jerry made an excellent point there um, on on missing a trade, right? There's, there's um, a real gentleman I like listening to, Tom Basso, another great trend-following trader. Um, and, and he once uh, gave that example of having missed a trade and the trade that he missed, or that's many moons ago, that was the trade that would have you know, kept his portfolio stable or, or slightly profitable for the year. 
and he missed the trade because um, um, his parents came over for a week, you know, to uh, to visit him, and you know, he wanted to spend time. It was with the him. silver trade. It Maybe was it silver. was the silver trade. I, 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 you know, silver I, I forgot trade, the market, yeah. but it's such a great example, right? Because it yeah. really could, in the way that we trade, it could be that one trade. It, it doesn't have yeah. to be 10 trades. It could be just one trade or two trades that that define and make the difference between a good year and a well, positive year or a negative year. And that's just because our distribution of, of P&Ls is, is so skewed, right? There are many, many, many. There's, there's almost users. nothing that you can do, no matter how smart you are, to improve your systems to the degree that a huge monster trend won't be better. And it's very humbling that that's, we're held hostage by these trends in these markets. But there's, there are people out there who can probably tell us of the money that they've made having n not nearly the opportunities we've had to learn from others and to work for organizations that had the capability to do fantastic backtesting. And I think their testimony would be, I just crushed it. On, on, I always did the trades. And this 200, 300 ATR profit I had back in 19, whatever, really made up for a lot of my inadequacies. And that's what, sure. you know, is that's the markets are the heroes and we're hostage to these, to these markets. And now they haven't been trending for a while, uh, but they will, they'll all come back and will be proven correct. But, uh, it is uh, quite ironic that, um, it's, it's a very humbling business that when you're waiting for your profit makers to wake up and do something for you. And, that, and that's what we, we can't give up on. Absolutely. The great answers to that. Before we wrap up this conversation, let me just, as usual, quickly do a rundown. These are performance numbers as of Thursday. So I think Friday was a generally uh, a, a quiet day, but uh, beat up 50 index uh, down for the month, 1.67, down 4.22 for the year. Uh, SockGen CTA uh, index down 2.6 for the month, down 5.97 for the year. Uh, SockGen Trend Index down 3.86 for the month, down 6.93 for the year. And finally, the SockGen Short-Term Traders Index down 0 0.66, 0 0.66 for the month and down 0 0.28 for the year. So on that note, um, we're going to wrap up this week's conversation. We hope that you have enjoyed it just as much as we enjoy making them for you. And if you felt that you got something from them, then please share and uh, leave us a rating and review in iTunes. They really do help. So from Jerry Moritz and me, thanks so much for listening. And we very much look forward to being back with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past, and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies, and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.